right. Thanks, everybody. Well, I'm excited about sharing the word today. And uh, a lot of what I wanted to share has already been shared. Praise God. That seems like that happens a lot around here. I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I've been thinking this week a lot about the ripple effect. We're supposed to have a slide about it. Hopefully, we'll get a slide about it. There it is. Oh, my goodness. It's way back there. I don't know. I was thinking it's going to be there. Well, anyway, you know, a ripple effect is an amazing thing. You can take the smallest pebble and throw it into a quiet pond, and the ripples will go far and wide. Isn't that an amazing thing? I actually brought a pebble with me. It's bigger than a pebble, but I thought you probably couldn't see a real small pebble. So, so I, bought, I brought this little rock. I thought about throwing it out in the congregation and see if it starts a ripple effect. But anyway, I won't do that. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? It doesn't take a very big rock, a very big pebble, to create a ripple effect. And that really got me thinking. You know, Mother Teresa said, small acts of kindness done with great love will change the world. Small acts of kindness. And, and what an amazing thing that is. Small acts of kindness. It didn't take a very big stone for David to kill Goliath. It's not the size of the stone. It's the size of the obedience. It's the size of the, the target. You see? Isn't that an amazing thing? And I, I turned 70 this year, believe it or not. And... Uh, <laughs> and my, my precious daughter and, and my, my daughter's here. Raise your hand, Molly. And Scott, her husband. And my precious niece is here from, all the way from Ohio and her husband, Nick, and my son, Ben. Anyway, they presented me with this legacy book. Isn't that something? It says, Happy Birthday, Jimbo. That's, <laughs> and it's got pictures. It's got testimonies of people whose lives... By God's grace, I touched over the last 70 years. Isn't, isn't that something? Um, most of my family calls me Jimbo. My grandson, James, can't say Jimbo yet, so he calls me Bobo. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a clown or something, you know, Bo, Bobo the clown. But this, this book has really changed my life. When I first got it, I, I leafed through to see which of my sermons had, had changed these people's lives. Which of the books I'd written had changed people's lives. Which of the blogs? Maybe I'd pray for somebody and some dramatic healing happened. I'd leaf through the pages. There's none of that stuff. <laughs> All it was was people that I'd gotten together with. I'd had breakfast and lunch and dinner and coffee. I poured my life into them. I listened to their issues and prayed with them and encouraged them. That's all that it was. And I got a little discouraged at the end. I said, Lord, there's nothing amazing about any of this. In fact, anybody could have done this. He said, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something? Anybody could have done it. And for most of you, you still got some years left before your legacy book is filled out. Anybody can do it. Just get together with people. Small acts of kindness done with great love. You can change the world through the ripple effect. Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing? Well, anyway. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, Prime is about a ripple effect. God wants to ripple on us and change our lives, and then he wants the ripple to go out and change other people's lives. 
And we're going to see a little bit more about it as time goes on here today. So I got to, <laughs> there we go. Second Timothy chapter two. I can spend the rest of the time on this one verse. It doesn't seem like a very significant verse, but it is. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, first of all, if you never read the Bible much, didn't know much about Timothy or anything, you would assume Paul's writing to his biological son. We just had a child dedication. That'd be cool. Hey, son, da-da. You'd be wrong. Paul wasn't married, didn't have any biological kids. Timothy wasn't one of them. Okay, second guess. A lot of us would, would have thought this. Well, maybe Timothy was unsaved, heard Paul preach, he got saved, and Paul became his spiritual father. That's a logical conclusion, but no, not true. <laughs> I was reading it just this morning. Acts chapter 16 it tells how Paul and Timothy met. Timothy was already a believer. His grandmother was Lois, it says. His mother was Eunice, and they poured their life into him. But there was one challenge. His father was an unbeliever. So he grew up with a godly heritage from his mother and his grandmother, but his father was not a believer. And so guess what? This blew my mind. Timothy was a believer when Paul met him, but uh, I feel like crying just to think about it. Timothy had some deficiencies in his faith. He had some deficiencies in his identity as a believer and his identity as a man. Some things that as good as his grandmother and mother tried to do, he needed a father. He needed somebody to hold him accountable, to tell him what it is to be a man. And that's why you see in 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul's dealing with all these issues that you don't just write to anybody about. Hey, flee youthful lusts. Hey, watch out for this. Hey, deal with your self-image. Don't let anybody look down on your youth. Hey, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's dealing with parental kind of issues. He, he becomes like a spiritual father to this guy who already had been a believer. And this morning I was reading this other verse, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. And Paul said, I want to come to you to make up what is lacking in your faith. I want to make up for the deficiencies in your faith. Boy, that hit me. Because here's the reality. We all, every one of us have deficiencies in our faith, deficiencies in our life. If I was one of those rude, crude kind of preachers, I'd say, turn to somebody next to you and say, you have some deficiencies. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we all have deficiencies. We have deficiencies in our life, our faith, our character. We have deficiencies. And you're not going to get those deficiencies remedied by a YouTube video. Most likely, or even a podcast or a whole lot of other things. You need a relationship, relationship with God. Yes, but I encourage you to have a relationship with an older, wiser man or woman of God who can pour their life into you, who can hold you accountable, who can kick you in the rear, whatever it takes. You know, and I'm 
<laughs> I know I'm meddling here a little bit, but, but it, it, it kind of, I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I ask people, I say, well, who's your pastor? And they, they list some megachurch pastor. Well, the reality is that can be your teacher, that can be your preacher, that can be your inspiration, but you need somebody like this, somebody who cares about you enough to challenge you, to ask, hey, you know, that message on Sunday was really cool, but are you doing it? God is no longer putting up with his people hearing messages that they don't have any intention of doing. It's time to be doers of the word. It's time to deal with the deficiencies, not to, oh, I'm just kind of deficient in that. Okay, well, let's deal with it. How about that? Wow. And Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you know, you got countless guys. You got a lot of YouTube preachers. You got a lot of podcasts. You got a lot of stuff coming in. You read a lot of books, but I'm your father. There's a different relationship there. Anyway, you can see I'm fired up about this, right? <laughs> Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And let me just mention this thing about grace, you know. <laughs> People can receive our input a whole lot more if they know that we love them. <laughs> and so Paul's talking about grace, you know. I'm going to challenge you about a lot of stuff, Timothy. I'm going to give you a hard time about some stuff. I'm going to point out some character issues. I'm going to deal with your deficiencies. But I want you to know it's all about grace. And it's all about Jesus. Yeah. And, and I'm going to point you to his grace in every way possible. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. My son, <laughs> do, do you have that kind of relationship with somebody pouring your, their life into you? And are you pouring your life into other people? Let it be. Well, then verse 2. I love this verse. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, we just have this child dedication and everything. If you read this verse, it's kind of amazing. There's four generations that, that are talked about here. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's the faithful men and women, and then there's others also. There's four generations. You see, this, the, the word of God that he imparts to you is not supposed to end with you. Come on. It's Come supposed on. to be poured into others. And you're supposed to train them in such a powerful, incredible, amazing way that they pour their life into others as well. Four generations. And he could have gone on and on and on. Four generations. Isn't that amazing? Ah. And by the way, it's faithful men, faithful men and women. There's good ground and there's not so good ground. I've discovered that along the way. <laughs> well, let's see the next slide here. Okay, for those of you who are into numbers, my, my uh, son-in-law, Scott, he's a numbers guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I probably got all these numbers wrong. But anyway, this is for those of you who are numbers people, right? If I had my choice... I want the big event. You know, this, this kind of stuff, it's kind of slow. Parenting, it's, it's kind of slow. <laughs> it's much better to be a grandparent, by the way. I mean, it just, just plain is, you know. <laughs> it's just it's the way it is. Sorry. But I want the big event. 
I want to see the world change, and I want to see it change now. I want to see a lot of people get saved right now. I want revival to break out, and I want it to all happen now. How about that? But I was talking to some people recently who have been missionaries. They're out in the field, exciting things going on out there. Now they're working a secular job here in America. <laughs> now they're working in, with kids, and now they got their own kids. And Oh, my gosh, it's kind of slow. <laughs> well, look at this. There's a fast way and there's a slow way. The fast way is what if you could get 100 people saved every day for the next 33 years, okay? 100 a day. Now, that's not going to happen, but anyway, it would, it would be amazing, right? 100 people. So that, I guess that's 36,000 a year, I think, right? Well, anyway, after 33 years, you would have 1.2 million believers, that were saved and had become Christians. That's pretty impressive, right? Love it. That's fantastic. But what about the slow way of discipleship, huh? What about the slow way? The slow way is you get one person saved. You spend a whole year pouring your life into that one person so that at the end of that year, it's just you and that other person, you got two, right? But they're so impacted. They're so discipled that they're able to win a person and disciple that person in the second year. So after the second year, you have four people. It doubled, right? And everybody is so impacted that it keeps doubling year after year after year. After 33 years, you would have 8.6 billion believers. That's more than the population of the world. You see, discipleship is a slow thing often, but it's a powerful thing. It's worth the investment. And if you make that kind of impact on people, it will pay off by the time you're old like me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 8.6 billion believers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, Paul tells Timothy in this passage, he tells them about three different word pictures. And those word pictures are a pretty good representation. If we're really disciples of Jesus, we will be these three things too. He says, I want you to be a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Hmm. Well, the first one is, is a soldier. He said, therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Wow, there's a lot in this verse, really, huh? And I talked about last week or the week before, you know, when you get old, you can't remember which week anything is, but I said how God wants to transform the church into an audience, into an army. But that means we got to be soldiers. <laughs> you know, it's up to us. We've got to be soldiers, you see. A soldier knows who the commander is, knows what the mission is, is willing to be, be disciplined, go through basic training and all this stuff to be ready. But you know one thing very basic about a soldier that I'm not sure we got right now. A soldier, in the way that Paul's talking, needs to realize they're in a battle. Do you realize there's a war going on? We're not used to that. We've lived a pretty comfortable life. We've had a nice, easy thing. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Go to church on Sunday. But, but that we don't realize we're in a battle. You know, one of the blessings of COVID, hate the thing, but one of the blessings is it showed us we're in a battle. 
there's a, a battle going on. Sometimes it's a battle even with our government and other kinds of things, frankly. But there's a, there's a battle going on with this kingdom of darkness. And so we have to start seeing, hey, we're, we're, we're in a battle, but we're an army. <clears throat> I was uh, on the way to church today. I was singing this old song from the Salvation Army. Salvation Army used to do more than just ring bells at Christmas, you know. <laughs> Again, nothing. That's a great thing to do, by the way. Fantastic. <laughs> but William Booth and Catherine Booth, when they started, they were totally world changers. The Salvation Army, they, I don't know if I can do it. I probably won't get up again. <laughs> they would kneel down at the edge of the city. They would stretch out their hands and say, Lord God, give us the city. We claim it in the name of Jesus for your kingdom, Lord. And, and they would sing a song like this. <clears throat> we are soldiers of the army of salvation. God is raising up to save the world. And we won't lay down our arms until every nation is bowed on bended knee before the Lord. How many of you heard that song? I see Regina back there, Ralph. <laughs> It's a powerful song, but they saw that there were soldiers, and it wasn't a, an army that's killing people and destroying things. It was an army of salvation, bringing hope and healing and transformation to people. God, man, we're part of that army. But Paul gives a warning. He said, if you're going to be a soldier, an effective soldier, you can't get all entangled in civilian affairs. The cares of this life will choke the word, Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4, choke the word. And Paul's warning the same thing here. He says, if you get entangled, if you lose sight of your mission, you lose sight of your commander, you lose sight of what you're here for. <laughs> Do you know what you're here for? <laughs> Don't get entangled in the affairs of this life that, you, that they may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who's enlisted you? Jesus has enlisted us. It's our mission to follow his great commission <laughs> and to please him. I've quoted this a bunch of times recently, but you know, Barna Research always has the most depressing statistics. You know, it's terrible. I hate it. And he came out with this one recently. He said that like 53% of people who attend church in America don't know what the Great Commission is. I thought, wow, what kind of soldier is that? <laughs> you know, you go interview the soldier. Hey, you know, you're in the army. Yeah, I'm in the army. What, what do you, what's your mission? What do you, I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I don't, <laughs> don't, don't really know my mission. Don't have a mission. Don't know my role. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> well, anyway, we, we could go on, but let, let's go on to the next thing. It doesn't get any better. Frankly, these next slides are even as more depressing. If anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So he said we're a soldier. Now he says we're an athlete. <laughs> you know, lots of us will watch the Panthers later today or whatever your favorite team is. But, uh, <laughs> you know, isn't it amazing how so many are guzzling their beer and eating their nachos while the guys on the field are the athletes? 
And they're the ones that are getting in shape. I, I saw a video this week just happened to pop up on YouTube of one of the quarterbacks in the NFL, and he was talking about what he had to go through to stay in shape. And he had a personal trainer who, you know, kind of busted his butt, you know, and got him ready, got him ready to go. Isn't that something? What would it be if we treated our spiritual life like that? And Paul said it. He, he said, I think it's 1 Timothy 4, 7, I don't know. He said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the word discipline there is gymnasio. It's gymnasium. It's like, get in shape. Get in shape. But some of us have deficiencies. You know, we need to get in shape. <laughs> some of you caught that, yeah. <laughs> we need to get in shape, you see? But it's so funny how we can be spectators, you know, fans, and, and we're there, you know, kind of chowing down, criticizing the guys on the field, criticizing the play calls of the coaches. <laughs> and here we are, <laughs> just getting fat and lazy. <laughs> he said, I want you to be an athlete. Timothy. Be a soldier. Timothy, be an athlete. Get in shape. Be disciplined. Be disciplined in the word and in prayer and in spiritual disciplines. Be ready. That is so important. Wow. Well, the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. <laughs> you know, this is, I think this is my favorite one. If I went around to you and let's say I prophesied, right? Thus says the Lord, Sam, God has called you to be a farmer. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Most of us would not see that as a compliment. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I, I thought maybe I could be an apostle, maybe a prophet, maybe you know, some, some high and lofty thing. No, here's the deal. God wants all of us to be farmers. And, and it says in Mark, it, he says, the king, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. You want to extend the kingdom of God? Plant seeds. How about that? Plant some seeds. But I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's not easy being a farmer. And Paul said, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Galatians 6, 9. He says, he's talking about sowing and reaping and seeds and stuff. He says, don't be weary in well-doing. That's one of my favorite verses. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in sowing, in sowing seeds because in due season, you will reap. If you don't lose heart, give up. We live in a time, I've never said, you know, as I've already documented, I'm an old guy. I've been around a long time. But you know, I've never seen a time where there's as much discouragement among the people of God. We're so tempting, so easy to want to give up, to lose heart. And a farmer that has sown some seeds and hadn't seen the harvest right away, it's easy to say, I quit. I give up. I guess nothing's going to happen. <laughs> we already talked earlier about seeds with our kids, you know, seeds with our grandkids, seeds with our friends, neighbors, whatever. God wants you to sow seeds. And you say, well, I don't see a lot of results. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of how seeds are. <laughs> you plant the seed, 
water the seed, and you pray. <laughs> and in time, in due season, at the proper time, you will reap if you don't give up. Ah, I love it. I love the thing. We're supposed to be a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Wow, isn't that something? Well, let me share, you, share a story here. This is what a ripple effect looks like. This guy was a farmer. Let me read this to you. Maybe you've heard this story. 1858, it's over a century and a half ago, a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball, he wasn't on staff of any church, wasn't a pastor, wasn't an event, just a Sunday school teacher. He led a Boston shoe clerk to Christ. The clerk was Dwight L. Moody. He became an evangelist. And in New England in 1879, he awakened the evangelistic zeal of F.B. Meyer, the pastor of a small church. Meyer brought a college student named J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ, and Chapman employed a former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to help with evangelistic meetings. Well, Billy Sunday held meetings in the Charlotte area. How about that? And a group of local men were so impacted that they planned another campaign, bringing Mordecai Ham to town as a preacher. During one of the meetings, a young man named Billy Graham heard the gospel and yielded to Christ. Countless millions were later confronted with Jesus' claims through Billy Graham's preaching. Well, what's the point of that? Few people have heard of Edward Kimball, but he started a ripple effect, you see? He started a ripple effect. I don't know if he led a lot of other people to Christ, but he led D.L. Moody to Christ. How about that? It's not about the numbers, but it's about God's faithfulness to take the seeds that we've planted and, and bring about things. You know, as I was uh, preparing for the message yesterday, I thought, Lord, I'm going to be talking about the ripple effect. And he says, well, I'm going to do a lot more than that. What? I just prepared it, sent my PowerPoint to the, you know, it's about a ripple effect. He says, no, I want to do a tsunami. Tsunami, and usually that's seen in destructive ways. But he's talking about a tsunami of power, of love, of revival, of salvation. And, and I said, well, how's that going to happen? He said, if enough people get in on the ripple effect, then eventually it's all going to result in a tsunami. Come on, come on. You see? That's, a, that's pretty cool. And Edward Kimball started small. He you know, won D.L. Moody to the Lord. But by the time it got to Billy Graham, it was a tsunami. <laughs> it's still going on today. Billy Graham's dead, but a lot of, a lot of power is still going out. Isn't that amazing? Ah. <laughs> yeah, you probably thought, thought I'd never get to this. <laughs> well, anyway, we're not going to get into any great detail on it today, but but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Prime, our discipleship model. So, go back just a second there. So, if we follow what Prime says, we will become soldiers, athletes, and farmers. So, next one. Prime starts with this, a vertical line. Um, if you have been around me at any length of time, you know that I carry these marker pens with me at all times. And I'm ready to talk to anybody at any time. I just talked to a guy named Dion this morning at La Peep. Drew a little picture for him. I'm ready. Are you ready? Doesn't have to be about prime, but are you ready to share about Jesus? How about that? But it all starts with a connection with God. And if that's not in place, everything else 
is going to be a mess. Everything else is going to be helter-skelter. Sometimes we're, we're trying to disciple people and ha- how to be a better uh, husband, a better father, better at your work, all kind of stuff. But if, if, if they don't have a connection with God, all the other stuff is not going to work very well, right? Vertical line, connection with God. Number two, relationships, connection with people. You know, the Christian life is about you and Jesus. But it's not just about you and Jesus. Let that sink in just a little bit. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile you with God. But he also died on the cross to reconcile you with people. Your husband, your wife, your kids, people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He died to reconcile us, Jews and Gentiles, and I could go on and on. And he said, if the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> if you just do the first two things of prime, you're off to a really good start. You know, you really are. That's awesome, you know. But anyway, but it continues. Prayer, relationships, instruction. So this cross begins to morph into a tree, and the tree has roots. You know, a whole lot of believers don't seem to have a lot of roots. Every time they, they see some new best-selling book, some new fad, some new idea that Oprah has, they're, they're flowing here, flowing there, blowing here, blowing there. We need to have roots. Yeah. We need to know what we believe. We need to have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. A lot of believers, so-called believers, whatever believers, don't really have a biblical worldview. Their worldview is a little bit of Bible and a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of New Age, a little, a little bit of just their own thinking, doing right what's right in their own eyes. God wants us to be grounded in his truth. And so we're connected with God, connected with people, but we need to be connected to truth. Wow. Important. Yeah. Next, maturity, connection with character. So this tree has fruit on it, right? And earlier, Pastor David, I think, quoted Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, you know? That's supposed to be what we look like, right? Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. Isn't that something? There's a a mark. It's like a kind of a spiritual tattoo. It's a spiritual thing. It's called love, (laughs) By this will everyone know you're my disciples if you love one another. But you see, Jesus had to deal with these issues, these character issues with his disciples all all the time. He didn't just tell them, you know, here's the latest thoughts on the Trinity and here's, you know, some great theology. No, he said, why are you trying to call down fire in the Samaritans? You don't know what spirit you're of. Why are you arguing about who the greatest is? If you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. He's dealing with character issues, you see. He said if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. It's better to, you know. He's dealing with character issues. Sometimes in the church, we, we haven't really dealt with those character issues, have we? Or if we do, it's in some kind of a general way, but because we don't have any father-son mother-daughter discipleship relationship, we we never hold anybody accountable. Mm, Help us, Lord. Character, connection to character. 
That's an important thing because if we're going to change the world, frankly, we've got to deal with these character issues. I've, I've mentioned, uh, I think my son Ben, I've mentioned a number of people lately. So many people, particularly in the younger generations, have, don't want nothing to do with God because they've seen hypocrisy in the character of their parents' generation. God help us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. We have sinned. We have failed. We've fallen short. God wants to deal with our character so that we can get to the next one as well. Ah, there's a river going by this tree. What's that? It's engagement, connection with ministry. You know, Jesus sent his disciples out. He didn't just say, watch me. Oh, watch me heal the sick. Watch me do this. Da, da. No, he, he sent them out to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. He, he engaged them in, in feeding the 5,000. He, he got them going. He said, go and preach the kingdom of God like you've heard me preach. So many Christians, because they're in the audience, not in the body, not in the, not in the army. If you would ask them, what's your ministry? What's God called you to do? They would look, with, <laughs> look at you like you're from another planet or something. My ministry, I work at the insurance office. I work at the law office. I work, uh, you know, this, I work at Duke Energy or uh, ministry. No, here's the deal. If you are a Christian today, if you are a believer, if you are part of the body of Christ, you have a ministry. You may know what it is. Maybe you don't know what it is. You have a ministry. You have a calling. And yours might not be the same as mine. In fact, it probably won't be. But you have a ministry. You're called to be a witness. You're called to be an ambassador. You have a ministry. But so many Christians don't know what that is. You see, the point of the whole matter is, it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. Jesus said, if you come to me and you thirst, he said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He wants to bless us and show us his love, but he wants to flow through us to a lost and needy world. Wow, what an amazing thing. Well, powerful prayer, loving relationships, applied instruction, manifested maturity, active engagement. That's what a disciple of Jesus looks like. And that's what we're going to be talking about in Prime starting on October 13th. Amen. I just want to share, share one little story with you. This is, I don't get a whole lot of prophetic dreams. You know, some of you might have read my blog. I actually wrote about a couple days ago. This week, I had a dream. Most of my dreams I can't remember. Most of them don't make sense. Most of it's, be, I ate pizza too late in the evening. I had a dream. <laughs> this was a powerful dream. And it was pretty brief, pretty short. There I am, and I, I see the, a world. It's a lot like our world today. A lot of strife, a lot of conflict, which we got today too. But there was one difference between that dream and what we see today. What happened is, in the dream, there was only one company in the world that, that uh, made all the, the cell phone charger cables. <laughs> and it went out of business, or it forgot how to make the cables. It was a little unclear what happened, but soon there were no new cables. And guess what happened to the old cables? Well, <laughs> gradually, they, 
they wear out. They frayed. They weren't working anymore. And in this crazy dream, cell phone cables became worth their weight in gold. People would kill <laughs> to get their hand on a cable because guess what? So these cell phones got incredible potential. But they only have potential if they have power. Oh, and that got me thinking about Prime. The very first thing is connection with God. If you don't have a cable, eventually you don't have any power. They say that these phones have enough computing power. They have more computing power than the computers that got a man on the moon. That's amazing. But have you ever had your phone go dead? You can't even get a text message. Can't make a phone call. Can't look at your email. Nothing. Just nothing. But it all starts with a connection to the power. So, so I have a very simple question today as we close. Uh, kind of an altar call kind of a question, okay? There's <clears throat> two kind of people I'm speaking to right now. Some of you never have had a connection. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you were in a Christian family. But you really don't have a connection with Jesus himself. I'm going to invite you just to come up and pray. Meet God. Maybe for the first time. Whatever. But I think there's even more of us that say, you know, I had power. I've experienced Jesus, but man, my cable's gotten, it's got a short in it. It's not working too well. I, I need to, I need my connection with God restored. I think there's some of us like that. that say, I haven't experienced him for a while. I haven't felt his love for a while. I haven't felt his power for a while. I hear people talking about, you know, the resurrection and coming out of the grave, all this cool stuff. I'm not feeling it. I, I'm not there. I don't see it. It's not really working for me. It's not working in my life. There's a lot of people like that. Let me pray, and we're, we're just going to sing a little song. How's your connection with God today? That's my final question. How's your connection with God? I, not how was your connection with God. Not even how someday when Jesus comes back, how your connection is going to be. How is your connection with God today? Well, I'm going to pray, but also we're going to sing this song. And I just invite you to come. Don't be embarrassed. We've all been here at one time or another. We've, we, we found ourselves with a dead cell phone. Or it's down to 3%. You ever had that happen? Ugh, it's going to be out of power soon. Father God, we... Uh, we Lord, we want to be soldiers. We want to be athletes, Lord. We want to be farmers. But Father, first, before any of that, we need to have the power of your spirit in your life, in our lives. We need to be connected with you. And Father, just as we sing this, this final song, God, I ask you, Lord, to move in our lives, move in our hearts, Lord. Give us hope for a breakthrough today, Lord God. Give us hope for a new beginning today, Lord. I believe there's some people today that you want to give a new beginning, Lord. Maybe they've had new beginnings in the past and, 
it kind of fizzled out. But, oh, God, it's time for a new beginning today. And so, Father, we pray that, Father. Help us, Lord, Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.